What's up, friends, and welcome to another episode of the She vs. World podcast. It's your girl, Danielle, here. I am so, so, so excited about this episode because it is one that is literally for you guys, by you guys, created by you guys. So I hope you all love it as much as I loved getting to put this together and release it. It is the Ask Me Anything, Dear Danielle, I Have a Business Question episode. I posed question boxes to both my IG community and also in my email newsletter of what do you guys want to know about business that you haven't maybe in a broad sense, but also what specific questions do you have? And I received so many awesome, interesting ones. And so in order to accommodate everyone's questions, I kind of categorize them into like the broad topics. You'll totally see what I'm talking about or hear what I'm talking about once we dive into the episode. But I want to make sure that I'm answering your specific questions and I'm even giving shout outs to those of you who chimed in and were okay with me sharing your name. Um, but then I'm also maybe going to dive into details that came from other people's questions related to the same topic. So super excited about this one. I love that we are all so into it and we're wanting to learn about how to be the best business owners possible, which brings me to my last little bit before we dive in is that you guys know we all got our Spotify wraps for 2022. It's always a fun thing to look at, you know, what we've been listening to and doing. For me, it's always like, hey, Danielle, you're a crazy Taylor Swift super fan. Maybe, you know, don't be part of the 0.001% of her streamers. But it was really fun this year getting to actually look at the Spotify stats for the She vs. World podcast and see that we were in the top, what was it, 15% of education, top 25% of shared podcasts. I should pull those numbers up before I started. We were in the top 25% of most followed podcasts on the platform. Holy smokes, guys, top 25% most followed. And that we are also in the top 15 most shared globally podcasts. Holy smokes. Those two numbers blow my mind. The fact that this podcast even exists is such a dream come true to me. And it is just a huge testament to all of you out there that have both poured into it and also given me your ears and your heart. So I am so, so, so grateful for every single one of you. Um, and before I, all these hormones from pregnancy kick in, I'm going to dive in today's episode, but I love you guys. Thank you guys so much. This episode is literally for all of you It's a giant hug and thank you for being part of this community. So without further ado, let's answer your questions. Welcome to the sheet vs. world podcast, because being a modern woman, balancing a career, business, friendships, relationships, family, oh, and our own needs can sometimes feel like it requires superwoman level powers. I'm Danielle Stead Blanton, athlete turned corporate attorney who left my completely unfulfilling career in a male dominated industry to disrupt the space and build the table for women leaders in the health and wellness worlds to thrive. I've teamed up with some of the biggest household names from their starts and through their massive growths by providing business, legal and operations consulting services. Well, also being their number one hype gal and sometimes the dose of tough love that only your best girlfriend can give you. On this show, I'm sharing everything I've learned along the way, both the practical business lessons to help your business thrive and the tough life lessons that ladies, we are just not talking about enough and need to be. And of course, I'm handing the mic off to some of the most inspiring and powerful women in our industries to share their stories and lessons too because together we can conquer it all. So 
So I thought we would just dive right into today's episode. It's the Ask Me Anything About Your Business, Dear Danielle, business episode. These are all awesome community-sourced questions. So this episode is truly created by you guys, for you guys, and I hope you all love it as much as I loved getting to do it. Um, just one more time, a reminder, a lot of the questions that came in were very similar. And so I did organize some of them via broader topic. And so I might, you know, say I got this question from so-and-so, but then this person also asked this nuance because I did get a lot of very, very detailed questions. But like I always say, um, everyone's business is so unique and different. I don't want to give broad advice that maybe won't apply to you. And if you have a specific question about that broad advice, I definitely want to be able to answer it. So without further ado, let's just start these off. So our first question comes from Christine at Supernatural Artistry. Christine overheard me on a pot or, or she <laughs> listened in on a podcast that I was speaking on and I was talking a lot about hiring a tax pro. Now, if you guys have heard me talk about business taxes before, you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge proponent of hiring an accountant and or a bookkeeper to help you with your business taxes, especially when you are just starting out in your first year. And we can talk about why I feel so strongly about it. I also try very hard to give broad financial tax and business expense advice without overstepping because I'm obviously an attorney and not an accountant. However, they are very, very similar in the laws and the application of it. But knowing that I live in California and you guys live all across the US, in Canada, in Asia, in Europe, what? It's so crazy to think that we have listeners all over the world. I always advise you to speak to local experts to make sure that the rules are applying to you and that you're taking advantage of all the rules that can apply to you. So Christine heard me on a podcast and I said, I really recommend early stage business owners, especially in your first year, hire a tax professional. And she says, I really want to take this advice, but I'm scared of the cost in hiring a professional. Do you have any advice to get over that fear? Oh, Christine you and so many others. And I want to just, first of all, thank you for your question and acknowledge that it's not easy to say I'm scared to hire somebody. I think that a lot of times we can look at a situation and be like, oh, I don't need to hire someone or I can figure it out myself. But I really appreciate you acknowledging your feelings coming into the situation. And so without being able to have the conversation of why you feel scared, I want to address some bigger issues related to your business taxes and finance. So one of the biggest things that I see happening or one of the biggest mistakes I see happening is new business owners not setting up their business properly, whether you're a sole proprietor, an LLC, or an S-corp, not setting up your business properly in your first year or two, and therefore not getting to take advantage. And hear what I say, get to take advantage. There's so many specific tax laws that are available to you as new business owners that you might not know about. And so if you decide to do it on your own, you might be missing out on them. You also might not be setting up your business's startup costs properly, your basis properly, which is how much money you've put in and how much investment you put into your business properly. You might not be depreciating, amortizing, or taking advantage of write-offs for business assets properly. So there's a lot to think about that I might have just spewed those words out and you have no idea what I'm talking about. If that's you, it is absolutely worth knowing. That's why you want to hire a professional who understands what I'm just talking about. Because how you set up your business in your first year actually dictates the first five years of your taxes. True story, first five years of your taxes. And so it to me is worth doing it right. A lot of 
business owners come to me as clients and they're at the end of year one, two, or maybe even three. And when I ask them questions like, what is your basis or how are your startup costs? They have no idea what I'm talking about because they didn't work with somebody initially. And so they are, for example, not able to take losses in their business, which is what happens when you have more expenses than revenue or what happens when you've put money into your business. They aren't able to take advantage of that. And so maybe they're paying thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not more than that, of extra taxes owed to the government just because they didn't set up their business right at the very beginning. So practically, that is why I always recommend to hire a professional because you are going to save yourself so, so much money in the long run. Now, a lot of people will say, I just, I can't afford the cost of hiring somebody. And what I want to ask you is what are the other costs in your business that you have afforded or that you've justified affording, right? Some people will come and say, I've spent $40,000 on a hydrofacial machine. I went out and bought a $10,000 Pilates machine. I went and got a doctor of physical therapy degree and license, but I'm not willing to spend a couple hundred slash maybe a thousand dollars on an accountant who's going to make sure that I'm saving tens of thousands, if not more in cash in my taxes. I want you to play that comparison in your head. How much are you willing to spend on other things in your business that maybe you use daily or maybe you have to have, but you're not willing to spend the money on ensuring that your business is financially set up properly? It helps you kind of weigh the, I'm scared at the cost of, it helps you weigh the cost of when you think of it as an investment in your business. And it also helps when you weigh how beneficial it is and how little it is compared to maybe some of those bigger expenses like your $10,000 Pilates machine or your higher education degree or your $40,000 bit of skincare. So that's kind of the, the actual of it. And then my third point as to advice of getting over that fear is the energetic side of it. Now, I am a huge believer that we are experts at what we do, and in that, we want to establish ourselves as experts to our clients, and we want our clients to see us as the people to come to if we need a rehab plan after we sprain our ankle, if we want a uh, get fit again plan if maybe we've fallen off the workout wagon and we want to start working out and training again, if we need a new skincare regimen, if we want to build a new websites, if we want to fill in the blank of what makes you so special and magical. We want to be known as the experts to our clients and in our community. So energetically, does it then make sense to try to decide that you are the expert at eyebrows, but you are also an expert at building your own website, doing your own taxes, writing your own legal agreements, doing all of your own social, doing all of your own hiring? Do you get where I'm going with that? We don't get to be experts at everything. And when we spend time and therefore energy on on projects and or on things and stuff that is, is we're not working efficiently, that is energetically sucking us. We are not just wasting our time. We're wasting our energy, which we know is time. And what we're also telling the universe is that we don't actually believe that we're worthy of being seen as experts because we are not willing to see other people as experts. Think about that. Karma is what goes around, comes around, right? If you want people to come to you as the expert at being a business coach and writing legal agreements, I have to go to other people and let them be an expert at building my websites, helping me create marketing plan and putting together a killer social media strategy. But when I am not willing to do that, I kind of am creating a block around myself that I'm not willing to let people into my business either. 
So there's three perspectives of looking at it. There's the actual financial of the amount of money that hiring a tax professional is going to save you. There's the tactical of it of and practical of it of just like they know what they're doing and we probably don't. And then there's the energetic of it of if we're going to be experts at what we do, we have to allow people to be experts at what they do. And when we support other people, it's not just good for ourselves karmically, it's good for businesses. It's good for small businesses. It's good for our local economies. It's good for our local community economies. And that only rises the tide, raises the tide, I should say, for all of us. So Christine, I hope that helps. And I hope you find a really great tax pro near you to help you, especially knowing that the year is coming to an end. Okay. Our next question comes in from Hey Ruby Jean. And she asked about family planning and growing a business. Oh, what a great question. How do I keep clients and grow a business after maternity leave? Wowza. So sister friend, this is a super nuanced discussion. I would love to, if you all are interested, do a whole episode on family planning, being pregnant, maternity leave, childcare, all of those considerations. Um, if any of you are interested, leave me some feedback, send me DMs. I would love, love, love to talk about this, not just because it's my experience right now, but because there is not enough conversation about business owners, women business owners who are at the childbearing ages and all of the nuances of what being a solo business owner, solopreneur, sole proprietor, or small business owner has to navigate that others who maybe work in a big corporation that have paid family leave that just get a paycheck regardless, don't even think twice about things. Um, it's very nuanced. So what I actually want to do is I kind of want to break it down into really broad um, categories and topics. And then, like I said, if you guys are interested, let's do a whole supplemental episode on it. Because if you're not interested, this might just be not your super cup of tea uh, question. So number one thing to think about with like family planning and growing your business is the non-sexy stuff. What does your insurance cover? Um, health insurance is legally required in this country. So I know a lot of you have it. However, do you even know what your policy is, your limits are, your coverages? Um, the reason I say this is because you, when you get pregnant, if you are able to naturally get pregnant on your own, you end up going to the doctor at least once a month. If you're like me, I've been going to two doctors once a month and then once every other two weeks and then once a week. So that's a lot of doctor's appointments. So it's a lot of testing. It's a lot of blood work. It's a lot of supplemental genetic testing. It's a lot of stress testing. It's a lot of fill in the blank. And so this is again, the unsexy side, but the very real side is what is the financial cost of you being pregnant going to look like? Again, if you're able to conceive naturally, I want you to know what your out-of-pockets are, what your co-pays are, what your deductible is every year of and deductibles. Like, what are you responsible for paying every year before kind of insurance will pay for most of it or all of it or a percentage of it? Your plan will tell you. Um, I think these are really important considerations to know because just because you have health insurance doesn't mean that just everything you do is covered. There's also certain testing, like genetic testing you might want to get done that isn't covered. There is supplemental testing you might want to get done that isn't covered. There's supplemental services that you might that aren't covered. So number one recommendation is to figure out what your health insurance allows for, which segues into my number two is if you are not able to conceive naturally and my heart goes out to every single woman who's in this situation, what does IVF, what does egg freezing, what does... IUI, like what do all of these supplemental fertility treatments look like? And are you able to create maybe a flex spending account or a health 
savings account to help pay for that in a tax-free way. Um, maybe you'll have family help you with it, but to really understand the financial cost. And when I say cost, I also mean burden on you to achieve that pregnancy state. So that's a really big consideration. Um, the number two thing to think about is, is what are the labor laws in your country? What are you entitled to? Um, without politicizing this too much, the United States is the only developed country in the civilized world that does not seem to love women and love women being pregnant and having babies and healing afterwards. And so, for example, in the state of California, um, you are entitled to a bare minimum of six weeks of disability leave if you birth naturally, eight weeks if you birth via C-section. Now, some people think that's great. I just want to frame it that other countries, you get six months up to a year for birthing parents to recover and bond with their baby. So six weeks is both a lot to some maybe, and also not anything to others. So to really understand what the labor laws are in your state, what it will allow, if your state allows supplemental family leave, which is an additional six to eight weeks on top of your pregnancy disability leave, because you want to know how much time you get to physically heal your body, to mentally heal your soul, to bond with your child, to bond with your family. These are very, very important considerations with family planning and growing your business because that's how much time do you plan to be away from your business, your clients, your revenue generating services. Super duper important. Now, if you are working for somebody, you might be an employee of theirs and you might have a relationship with your company such that you actually do get family leave or you do uh, get to take advantage of X amount of sick days or six, sick weeks or vacation or whatever that may be. So I really encourage you to assess your relationship with your company. If you're an independent contractor, they do not, and I are not legally required to provide you any sort of family leave other than the minimum that your state gives you. And when I say your state gives you, if you are an independent contractor or an employee of a company that is so small, they actually aren't required to pay for your leave. The state pays for your leave, which brings me to my next point of, have you been paying yourself a salary? And if so, have you been paying into your state's disability fund, unemployment fund, and family leave funds? You will see those taken out of your payroll taxes. Now, this is important because if you want to take advantage of state paid disability, state paid family leave, you have to have at some point in your life or currently be paying into it via your payroll taxes. We talk about payroll taxes a lot, guys, that you should be saving at least 30% of your take-home to pay for that, and that's actually what you're paying into is that ability to then make your salary while you're on quote-unquote disability or family leave. Um, other things to think about when you're running your business is if it's just you or if you have people that work with you or for you who are able to do what you do. So for service providers who are maybe in a treatment room, they might say, I'm stepping away, but I'm having my junior esthetician do all of my services, my junior waxer do all my services. For personal trainers, maybe you're going to say, I'm not going to do one-on-one -on -one in person, but I will be doing virtual starting at this date. It's figuring out if you, if it's just you doing all the work, like for example, I currently don't have any attorneys that work for me. So I have my legal work put on hold right now until I'm able to start ramping that up again. Knowing who in your business is going to be supporting you with serving your clients is a super duper important consideration, um, which leads me to my next big bullet point of saving and kind of your churn rate in your runway. And what this means is, is how much money do you need personally a month to pay your bills, pay your mortgage, pay everything? And then how much you know money are you spending every month? How much do you want to have saved up? 
something that I really focused on was saving what I could from the business so that it can sit and chill and pay myself while I'm out on family leave. I know that maybe not everyone is in that situation, so I always want to be sensitive to it, but to look at what you pay yourself every month as a salary, making sure that you're still able to pay yourself that salary, making sure that if you have, if you're renting a space, maybe you rent studio space, maybe you rent salon space, maybe you are renting something that you're still able to pay your rent, you're able to pay your utilities, your bills. Unfortunately, we don't have the opportunity to call you know, our local internet provider at our business and say, Hey, I'm not going to be there for a month because I'm on family leave. Can you not bill me? (laughs) So we want to know what our fixed expenses are every month to make sure that we are able to save for that and pay them. And then it kind of segues into a bigger conversation of how much time do you want to be away from your business? How much time do you want to commit when you come back? What is your support system going to be like? Once you do have a child, are you going to have a nanny? Are they going to go to daycare? Are you going to have family members helping you? And How do you keep clients while you're on maternity leave? I'm going to be honest with you. It is something I really have struggled with and I really have a lot of fear around and I've had to do a lot of work and reflection for my own self to say that you have to know that what you do is so valuable to people that people will want to work with you the second you're ready to get back to work. Um, The other thing is that what you offer is so unique and so valuable that they don't want to go to somebody else. I know service providers who do maybe like personal beauty services are nervous if, oh my gosh, if I stop waxing for a couple months, they're going to go find a different waxer. It's really not the case. And I think that we need to get over that scarcity mindset and remember how much our clients love us and appreciate us and to candid, excuse me, candidly work your ass off ahead of time push as I did to get all of your clients in seen and taken care of before you go out on a very specific date of family leave and then tell them when they can expect you back because they can manage if you're, if you're going to be gone for a month or two, three months, whatever that may look like. What they won't be able to manage is if you don't tell them when they're, you're going to be available to them again. So let me kind of preface this with, I'm going out on maternity leave at the beginning of December. I'm telling my clients I will definitely be available to them by mid-January or at least have an update for them by mid-January. And so I have people who are already on a waiting list who are like, D, as soon as you're ready to get back to work, I need this legal agreement, this legal agreement, this legal agreement. Great. Um, I also have my one-on-one business strategy and coaching clients who know, okay, we had our last session at the end of, uh, beginning of December. I will maybe be able to hop on the phone at the end of December, beginning of January and do special sessions for you. If not, let's talk mid-January, but here's all your action items that I need you to get done beforehand. And here's what you need to be working on too. So setting your clients up for success before you leave is really, really key. And just know that they are going to be so grateful to have you back. And it will also show you who values you as a person and who is just going to you to go to you. Um, I, I, I say this because some service providers will find that their clients will push, 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 push and be like, can you please just squeeze me? And I know you had a baby three days ago, but I just need, I need you to wax my eyebrows or I need you to do my nails really quickly. Um, those are people that don't respect your boundaries and don't respect you as a person versus the clients that are like, Oh shoot, I missed the window. As soon as I can see you, please let me know. Um, I've definitely experienced that also with clients where people have asked me to squeeze in last minute requests in the month of November. And I bent over backwards and worked crazy hours and you know, they're not even appreciative. So 
This will be a very telling time for you as a business owner. It will teach you a lot about boundaries. It will teach you a lot about yourself. But what I ultimately want to bring this all full circle back to, and then I'm going to move on from this question, is that I deeply, firmly, with my whole being, believe that we can have a business, we can be successful, we can grow a client list, we can provide great value and service and still be pregnant, still be mothers, still be wives, still be family members, friends, functioning members of society. And the purpose of this conversation is to shed light on that. And it's not to sugarcoat it. This shit's going to be hard. It is really hard to be a million months pregnant, working 12, 13, 14 hour days to try to accommodate all my clients, but it is what we have to do sometimes. And so it's not always easy, but it is doable. And I want us to keep this conversation that we can do hard shit. We can do hard things as Glenn Doyle says. So let's talk about how we can do these hard things. But if somebody out there is contemplating family planning, especially as women in their twenties, thirties, and forties, I strongly encourage you to. And again, if you guys want to talk about this more, let's do a whole episode on it. Okay. (laughs) Moving on to non-pregnancy related stuff. So Heather wrote in about when is it time to open an LLC? Heather, you and so many other people have asked me, when is it time? When is it time to move on from being a sole prop? or a DBA to an LLC? When is it time to, when should I go from an LLC to an S corp? Um, so let's kind of talk about that. First and foremost, there's no hierarchy. And I, I want to say this to everybody who thinks that there is a hierarchy and there is this conception and it is a misconception that the bottom of the business ownership is having a sole prop or a DBA. A sole prop is a sole proprietor. And basically you're just operating under your name and you're not even maybe using an EIN. Eek. We're going to talk about that in a few more questions. Um, maybe the next step is you open an LLC and you're an official business. Okay. One thing I always say is I'm never impressed when people are like, I have three LLCs. Okay. What do you do with those LLCs? Anyways, that's just one of my pet peeves. Every time I see on Instagram, people are like, I have, I am a boss because I have an LLC. I just LOL because anyone can open one. Um, but I digress. <laughs> And then people think in this like hierarchy of business ownership is an S corp and like having an S corp is like the pinnacle of you've made it. Um, I just want to tell you as an S corp owner, I have an S corp because I legally have to as an attorney in the state of California, not because I would necessarily choose to true story. I might probably have an LLC if I could. So knowing that I want us all to wipe that slate clean. I want us to throw that misconception in the garbage that it goes sole prop LLC S corp. That is not the evolution that your business should take. And I want to just stress that so, 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 so firmly, but there comes a point in every person's business where both the legal, the liability and the financial incentives of one outweigh the other. So let's talk about it. When do the legal financial and liability incentives of having an LLC outweigh not having an LLC. So first and foremost, let me just take a step back and remind you guys that an LLC is a legal entity. It is not a tax classification. Your tax classification for your LLC is that it passes through onto your personal taxes, which means that you don't have to file business taxes. An S corp is actually a tax classification. You are a corporation as a legal entity. You are an S corp as a tax classification, and you have to file separate business taxes for your S corp, which are then passed through and reflected on your business. I'm sorry, on your personal income taxes. 
I should make a chart of this for social media for all of you, but I just want to get that really, really clear. An LLC is not a financial election. It is a legal protection. So when you have an LLC, you want to make sure that you're legally protecting something. You want to make sure that you're covering something. Otherwise, like I said, when people are like, I have all these LLCs, I'm like, great, but you have nothing to protect, which is going back to my point. When do you open an LLC? When you have something to protect. I think that anybody that works with people in a physical capacity should have an LLC. What I mean by that is if you touch people's bodies for a living, you're a body worker, you're an esthetician, you wax, you do nails, you're a permanent makeup artist, you're doing eyebrows, you do breath work, Reiki, you're a personal trainer, you're a physical therapist. Let me just keep going down this row, guys. If your work touches or affects a person's body, the liability associated with that is enough that you want to protect yourself. It's not enough just that you have liability insurance. You probably want a legal entity that also covers your ass too. Now, when I say it covers your ass, the next question people ask me or tell me is they're like, well, I don't have much to cover. Well, girlfriend, same. Because (laughs) if you think you don't have much to cover, let me ask, where do you live? What do you drive? How do you get around town? Do you have a dog? Do you have a laptop? Do you have nice purses? Do you, are you uh, maybe going to get a nice inheritance from a family member? Are you part of somebody's 401k plan? Do you have any assets to your name? Chances are a lot of us have a lot more than we realize. If you do not have your business in an LLC, all of those assets can be taken. I was actually in a coaching group speaking on liability recently. And I made a joke that the IRS could come and take your dog. And people were like, holy shit, somebody could come take my dog. And I said, yeah, your dog's technically a personal asset. And as soon as I said that, that was actually the light bulb moment that a couple women were like, okay, I'm going to go open an LLC. I thought that was hysterical. And also if somebody ever tried to touch Kona, I would defend them with my life. So I get it. Um, You guys get the gist of it, right? If you have something to protect you want to open an LLC. If you do work with that touches or affects other people's bodies, you want to open an LLC, plain and simple. I think most of us under those two broad categories want to open an LLC. When is it not worth opening an LLC? Really simply, if the fee that you pay for the LLC, for example, in California, it's $800 a year. If the fee exceeds how much you're making from your business, at which point I love you when I say this, you don't have a business, you have a hobby. If you're not making $800 a year, you have a hobby. If you're not generating $800 in your business, let's talk. I'm going to give you a free session because I promise you we can fix that. Um, other times that maybe you don't want to open an LLC is if you're moving states. We're going to talk about moving states and moving entities. Why? Because it's never worth having a foreign entity in a new state. Other times you don't want to open an LLC. You don't really know what you're doing with your business and you might change it. Um, you're opening it with a partner that you might not stay partners with or a spouse that you might not be spoused with. Um, LLC really does create a sense of permanency. And so if you are going to have any changes in your life, maybe hold tight on opening it. So again, the LLC is going to provide you that legal liability protection. And if you have something to protect, that's when you want to open it. Financially, a lot of people ask me, how much money should I be making to open an LLC? And it's not, it's, it's, it's more than $800. That's my answer to you. So if you're making more than $800 a year. Um, you're going to get write-offs for your LLC that are the exact same as if you were a sole proprietor. We talk about write-offs and expenses and the same form that you file in your personal taxes 
for business write-offs are the exact same ones that you file for LLC. And so, like I said, at the very beginning of this question, you file your LLC taxes through your personal taxes. You file your corporation taxes through your corporate business taxes. So again, there's no money threshold of, okay, I've made this much money. I should now open an LLC. Um, it really just comes down to, do you have anything to protect? Yes or no. And is there permanency in what you're doing? Yes or no. And then this is going to segue into my next question. And this is actually from Frank. And Frank basically wants to know when you switch from an LLC to an S corp. And if there's a monetary amount associated with how much you pay yourself, that it's beneficial. And so Frank, this is a really great question. And I just want to reiterate again, LLCs and corporations are legal entities. LLC is not a financial uh, is not a financial description because LLCs are all taxed on your personal. S corps is a financial description, and so if you open your business as a corporation through, for example, LegalZoom, I tell everyone go to LegalZoom, open your corporation. People are like, "There's no open an S corp." I said, "That's right. You open a corporation and then you make a S election." on your tax forms with the IRS. That S election allows you to create pass-through taxation, which is the beneficial uh, taxation for 99.9% of us. And it's not even worth going into that other 0.1%. What are the legal benefits? What are the liability benefits? And what are the financial benefits of therefore having an S corp versus an LLC? So we've established that liability-wise, they're the exact same. LLCs and S-Corps aren't going to give you any sort of liability benefit or legal benefit that is different. The biggest difference is what? How they're taxed, which is why a lot of people think that once you hit a threshold on revenue or income, you should quote unquote graduate into being an S-Corp. That's actually not the case. And it's this giant misconception. The reason is, is that S-Corps allow you to write off certain things that LLCs do not. Why? Because I keep saying this, because you file taxes differently. S-Corps allow you to expense and deduct payroll taxes, which is such a big thing, which is why people have this notion that when you make a certain amount of money or hit a certain amount of revenue, S-Corps are quote unquote better for you. They're better for you because they allow you to take advantage of more deductions that your LLC didn't. Is it better? Technically, yes. Why? That's your backstory. So a lot of people then say, my accountant said, once I'm making $100,000, that's when I should switch to being an S-Corp. Again, I think this is a really uh, a fallacy that's kind of gone shopped around town. But what it really comes down to is once you're making that much, excuse me, money, your overhead should probably be not the majority of your expenses. You should be paying yourself a salary, which by the way, you are legally required to pay yourself a reasonable salary. We'll talk about that in someone's question. You are legally required to pay yourself a reasonable salary. And when you pay yourself a salary, S-Corps allow you to deduct payroll taxes from your expenses. So that's incredibly beneficial. S-Corps also allow you to deduct other things, which I'm not going to play the comparison game of one versus another. I have an entire blog post if you'd like that, or I can do a whole reel or a graphic on IG if you guys are curious about it. Um, but what I will say is that S corps and corporations in general come with more to do's every year. You have to have a corporate board meeting every year. You have to have corporate minutes with your board meeting. You have different filing requirements every year with your state. Every state is different. And so I don't want it to ever appear that being an S corp is quote unquote better, or you're a better business owner for it. There's a lot of fortune companies, guys like fortune 100, 500 that are LLCs. There's a lot of insanely successful unicorns of Silicon Valley, Silicon beach companies that are LLCs. LLCs are great legal entities if you know the rules and you play by them right. 
So this is my last thought on LLCs and S-Corps is we are entitled as small business owners, as solo business owners to the same deductions, the same elections, and the same benefits as these Fortune 500, these 100, these S&P, these DAOs, these unicorn, blah, 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 blah. Hire a tax expert who can help you take advantage of them. Know what they are and apply them into your business. You are, again, entitled to the same shit. Small business owners run the world. Don't forget that. Okay, so next question um, is coming to us by Pilates by Halls about moving states. Now, I got a lot, lot, lot of these questions about moving or changing or upgrading or et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just going to make this really short and sweet. If you move states, guys, move your LLC. Why? Because you technically should not be operating your business in a state to which you have no domicile residence in. Domicile means your home. Residence means like your corporate office. So especially for all of you who operate virtually online and then you move states and your LLC was in one state, now you're in another, or even worse, if you worked it in person somewhere and now you work in person somewhere else, you need to move your LLC. There's absolutely no benefit of keeping your old LLC because you still have to establish it in your new state, which means, for example, if I move from California to Nevada with my California entity and I go to Nevada and I still want to keep my California entity, I have to register my California in Nevada as a foreign entity. I have to show that I still have California domicile or residence. I have to show that I still have some sort of presence in California. It's a huge pain in the ass. And for most of us, it doesn't matter. So the easiest thing to do is to abandon or close your LLC or S Corp, whatever entity it is, open a new one in your new state. Furthermore, you might not be able to take the same tax advantages depending on your state's individual tax laws if you have a foreign entity versus a local in-state entity. And so it is not worth the headache that a lot of you think it is of keeping it open and just operating it. It is actually far easier to file the $25 form that you're dissolving an entity and to go open a new one. And a lot of people come to me and say, what's the easiest way to open it? Guys, go to LegalZoom. I have literally no financial affiliation with them, which I need to change this year because I refer them a million clients. But LegalZoom will make it super duper easy for you to open a brand new entity that can do it for you in a couple of days. Or if you're really keen on it, I can open a legal entity for you. It is very easy. You could open a legal entity for yourself. It's actually very easy and very inexpensive. So moral of the story is when you change states, move your LLCs. There you go. This is also a really natural segue to a question that came from me from Priscilla at Priscilla's Essentials about moving EINs with LLCs and DBAs. So this is different than Priscilla's question. Priscilla, I will get to your full question in a second, but what I want to also reiterate, fam, is that your EIN stays with your LLC. So, or sorry, it also stays with your DBA. The EIN is tied to the entity to which it was opened by. So if you move LLCs, like you move across states, you got to sign up for a new EIN. Why? The EIN is also state specific. Your EIN is your employee identification number. It is what you do all of your financial tractions with as a business owner. And it is effectively your business's social security number. You, you need it to open a bank account. You need it to have a business PayPal, Venmo, Stripe, anything like that. You need it to file your taxes. Now, you also, uh, 
when I say the EIN stays with the entity, that means that there, if you close an LLC or you close a DBA or you abandon any of those following, you actually don't have to do anything. You don't actually have to notify your state and say, hey, by the way, I don't use this EIN anymore. You just stop using it. A lot of people come to me and say, okay, now what do I do with this EIN? It just kind of exists. And if you don't use it after, I want to say a year or two, maybe a little longer, depending on what state you're in, your state will automatically close it for you. So there's nothing you need to do about it. You don't need to send them notification of abandonment, but you also cannot transfer your EIN entity to entity because it is literally, it is created for the entity and whatever happens to that entity, that EIN just chills regardless. Okay. So Priscilla had a question that she had a DBA with an EIN and a bank account. She wants to open an LLC. Can she move her EIN to the new LLC and just switch the name on the bank account? So Priscilla, now you know that your EIN is specific to your DBA or your company. So if you open a new LLC, girlfriend, you're going to need to open and create a new EIN. If you have a bank account, Will the bank then just let you switch it over? So this is a tricky one because I'm a really big proponent of building business credit. However, having a DBA and an EIN does not give you business credit the same way having a LLC and EIN does. Does having an EIN give you business credit? Yeah, a little bit actually. So what I would say is that there is a 99% chance that your bank will not let you update the bank, I'm sorry, the EIN number on your bank account. Most banks are going to ask that you open a new one, just like if you were a new person opening a new bank account with a new social security number. There really isn't just a switch the name on the bank account, because if you're switching the name, you are switching the legal classification of who owns the account, right? If you are a person, you're a person. If you're a DBA, you're a DBA. If you're an entity, you're an entity. It is not as simple as just updating the name on the account. Some banks might let you do this. I'm telling you all major financial institutions I have ever encountered will not. And so one more time, fam, your EIN is tied to whatever business or entity you opened it with. If you get rid of the entity, the EIN just dies out with it. You want to open a new one and you always, 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 always want to have your bank account in the correct name and EIN number of the business under which you are operating. Why? going back to the LLC S-Corp discussion, because the legal protection that you have for the LLC and S-Corp only applies to what is in the name of the LLC and S-Corp. So if your bank account is under your name and the EIN is under your social, but you're running a business through your LLC and that LLC doesn't have an EIN, guess what? When shit hits the fan, people can still access your personal money. So please, please, please make sure guys, as you are doing your end of your finances, taxes, wrap up, that all accounts are under the business name, your QuickBooks accounts, all of your uh, cash apps, like your Venmos, your Zells, your PayPals, your, um, I don't even know how else people pay each other these days. <laughs> Everything goes under the business name. All your business contracts go under the business name as well. Cool. Okay. Speaking of paying and money, this is such a good question coming at us from Celia at Wax Addict. Celia, I love this question. You and I actually talked about it before I got to share all this on this episode. Is how do you pay yourself through payroll versus what some people call an owner's draw or distribution? Is there a difference between payroll and owner's draw? Do you pay taxes on an owner's draw? And what about payroll taxes paid by the business? Um, how do we kind of look at those versus personal taxes? 
So this is such a valuable question, Celia. I am so appreciative of you asking this because one of the things I tell all of my business clients is that you have to pay yourself. You have to. You are an operational expense of the business. The business literally cannot and will not exist without you providing the services to bring in the revenue. And so we have to stop looking at paying ourselves as a, I will take whatever's left at the end of the day. And we have to start looking at it as a, I am absolutely 100% taking what I am owed and paying myself for the value that I bring my clients. Now, paying yourself can come in a couple ways. And a lot of people ask me, like, what is the appropriate number? And I think the best number to start out is how much money do you personally need to just exist and live? You have rent, you have groceries, you want to go shopping, you want to go on vacation, you want to save, you want to have all those things. You are entitled to pay yourself a salary. And more than that, the business then needs to figure out how to operate while you pay yourself a salary. Um, The other thing that you want to think about is how you're paying yourself. And this is super important, kind of tying into my discussion earlier about family leave is that how you pay yourself matters. If you are paying yourself through payroll, payroll is actually a legal term and a legal act. It is the act of paying an employee from a business for services rendered while taking out certain amount of taxes based on withholding requirements. I think Webster's probably could write it better, but you know what? Actually, I think I did a pretty good job there. (laughs) So you want to see if you're paying yourself through payroll, at which point a lot of us use payroll processors like Gusto, which is my favorite, ADP, maybe QuickBooks, Stripe or Square might also allow you to do it. I candidly don't know the answer to that. Um, or if you're taking an owner's draw or distribution. A lot of LLC owners, what they do is they take an owner's draw or distribution, and at the end of the month, they look at that set amount of money that they claim that they, or sorry, that they have decided they want to pay themselves, and they just transfer it. They just transfer it from their business bank account to their personal and they call it their owner's draw of profit. Do I love that? I don't hate it. It's not my favorite. I'll tell you why in a second. Um, versus, you know, what I said earlier, if you are an S-corp at a certain point, you have to pay yourself, quote unquote, a reasonable salary through payroll taxes. And that payroll taxes are um, write-offable or deductible expenses while your owner's draw and distribution is not. So, Payroll is a legal act of paying yourself, of taking out taxes, of allowing those taxes to be business write-offs while also allowing your salary to be considered an operational expense. You see all those benefits versus your owner drawer distribution is you just literally transferring money from one account to another. There's no legal act. You're not taking taxes out. You're not maximizing any sort of just transfer. You're just taking that money. That money actually isn't even a a deductible expense in most cases. So know the difference between what you're doing when you're paying yourself. When you do an owner's draw, do you pay taxes on it? Yes, absolutely. You pay personal income taxes on it and it's up to you to report those income taxes to uh, the IRS when you're doing your annual taxes. Now, a lot of people like to scoot around that and they just pay themselves and they don't pay taxes. Let's not be those people. My lovely girlfriends and boyfriends and friends listening to this, we always pay our taxes we, uh, we fear the IRS a little bit and we karmically and energetically always want to give back what we are given. So do I pay taxes on an owner's draw? Yes. You pay it when you're reporting your income taxes at the end of the year, you're reporting it as 1099 income instead of W2 income, which means that you are still responsible for paying 25, 30, 40%, whatever your tax bracket is. Now, when people talk about payroll taxes being paid by the business, 
what does that refer to? So your business is responsible for withholding X amount of money based on how much you tell it to. Most of us tell it to withhold one because it's just us uh, or maybe even zero. Some of you like to know you're going to get taxed extra at the end of the year, so you put in an extra amount. The money that's withheld is what's taken out of your paycheck and what's been sent to your local state to pay for social security, to disability insurance, unemployment insurance. Um, This is completely different than what we pay in our personal income taxes, which is also a huge pain in the ass. So when we pay payroll taxes as a business, the business is actually paying more than what the person is making. So for example, if I am an employee of my business and I'm making $100 this pay period, I am going to maybe lose 10% of that check and that 10% is going to be at my expense. And then this business itself is going to pay another 10%. And what we're going to do is that we are going to cover the cost by splitting between myself and the business what is owed to the state to pay for social security, disability, and unemployment. That's probably a fun fact that most people didn't realize that when it comes to actually paying taxes, what's taken out of your paycheck is only half of the taxes that are paid to the state, the other half is actually reflected by the business, which is uh, an absurd amount of money that goes to our states, but also why a lot of businesses don't want to pay people as employees, because not only do you have to pay them a salary, you pay them on top of it. So instead of me getting that $100 at the end of the month, I maybe get $90 at the end of the month, but the business has to then pay an extra 10. So instead of just paying me $100, the business has to pay me $110. And so now the business doesn't want to run payroll for me. So they just pay me as a 1099 because it's easier just to pay me cash and only pay me hundred dollars than pay that extra bit, which is why AB5 was created at the beginning of 2020. Sorry guys, I'm not going to go there. Not going to go there. But in case you were ever wondering why businesses don't like to pay employees, that is why, because they have to pay more in payroll taxes. Just know that for your business as well. However, if you are running your own business, know that all of those taxes are deductible and your wages are what? Operational expenses that we can write off as well. So if you have questions about specifically how much to pay yourself, what I would go back to is how much money do you need? And then if you want help figuring out how to make that number work, how to hit that magic money number in your business to ensure that your business is always paying you, Let's book a session when I am back from family leave. Okay, moving on. This is actually going to be our last question because this has been a very meaty episode and I feel like one, I talk very fast. So I'm sure you guys are probably like head spinning a little bit, but two, I just am so appreciative that these are really thoughtful, great user sourced questions. And, um, I want to do one more and then we will of course do another episode like this come spring. Cause these are really, really helpful for everybody. So my last question is actually an anonymous one, um, and it is asking me about paying contractors and employees fair wages. Oh, so good. What do you do when somebody asks for a raise or a salary, but their work slash contribution doesn't match what they're asking for? Oh, this is such a great question. And I know who it's from, so I'm so excited to answer it, but I am keeping it anonymous because of a lot of reasons. Guys, as a business owner, paying contractors and employees fair wages is such an emotional and stressful thing. Because we want to, we know what it's like, right? We've been, um, we've been 1099 contractors. We know how hard it is to hustle, to get out there and make money. And so we never want to sell people short. However, and this is what I really, really want all of us to hear as both business owners and people who have been on both sides of the equation. We have to find a number that is reasonable and what is reasonable to one person might not be reasonable to another person. And so we have to let the market tell us 
what is reasonable. Now, it's wild because I remember hiring an assistant um, back in 2020 and paying them, I'm just going to be really open to you guys, paying them $25 an hour to be doing social media graphics and be doing emails and this and that. And they came to me and were like, I want $35 an hour to be doing emails and social media. And I just like died laughing because as business owners, we all know how little we take home compared to how much our business actually makes. And so I posed the question back to this individual and I said, how can you justify making that much money? Tell me how much revenue you're bringing into the company or how much value you're bringing into the company to justify that rate. Also, what is 35,000? I'm sorry, what is $35 as it relates to like a full salary? Kind of, you know, see what that equals. Are you doing as much work as a full-time person who would be making as much money? Um, what we ultimately decided was that this person was definitely not uh, contributing enough to, to justify that amount of money. However, what I want us to go back to is paying contractors and paying employees for wages is as much practical and financial as it is emotional. And so we as business owners never want to downplay or disregard the amount of value people bring in. But please know if you're a contractor or employee asking for more money, you don't just get to say you want more money because life is expensive. This is when like tough love Danielle comes into the equation. And what I would actually recommend everyone doing at some point in their careers is reading the book, Netflix, No Rules Rules. They talk a lot about compensation in this book. And one of my favorite discussion points is, is that the market really dictates how much people make. And so for example, if my admin came to me and said, every other admin I know is making $35 an hour and here's the proof of it, I would probably be more likely to have given that person a raise. Um, if the admin person said, this is the value that I'm bringing into your business, and this is the return on investment of paying me $35 an hour, I probably would have given that person a raise. However, and this is the Netflix, no rules, rules, rules is that it's not just enough to say, I've been in this job for X amount of time. I want to raise. I deserve it because I work hard. I'm stressed out. I work so many hours. There cannot ever just be a, because I said so, there always has to be a tangible justification for it. So what Netflix actually does is that they give employees the opportunity to ask for raises by presenting quantifiable and uh, comparable market research and evidence as to what a role in that similar situation should be paying and or the return on investment on the work that they've contributed to the company. And if you cannot justify why you're worth getting paid extra, then you're not worth getting paid extra. And I know that's a harsh thing to say, and you definitely can't say that to your employees the way I just did. But as business owners, I want you to think about that. And if you're a contractor and employee of a business, I really want you to think about that. How will you present your argument to your bosses and owners in a way that they think absolutely you are worth getting paid this much more money? Now, the other thing with the Netflix no rules rules as it relates to compensation is that, like I said, it gives employees and contractors the opportunity to present it to their managers. What this means is managers, it is not always up to you just to sit here and twiddle your thumbs and be like, oh, I feel bad. This person's been working here forever and we've never given them a raise. If they're not asking for it, again, they're not taking the initiative for it. Why should you then feel bad or feel like you have to do that? Again, tough love, Danielle here. Love you guys. You know where my heart is coming from. But I really think in these type of relationships, it is about presenting what you bring to the table or just presenting extra work opportunity and responsibility that you want somebody to do to justify paying them more money. 
Now, when somebody comes asking you for a raise or a salary, but their work contribution doesn't match, I think it's really important to be very candid and clear with the people who are working with you as soon as possible and as as kindly as possible, right? Like honesty is kindness. I think it's worth saying that I pay you to do X, Y, and Z, or you're employed to do X, Y, and Z. If you do the bare minimum, guys, that does not justify a raise. Uh, doing the bare minimum justifies getting paid your your bare minimum and keeping your job. What justifies the raise is, like I said, what value are you adding? What tasks are you getting off the plate? How are you bettering yourself in the company? What is the return on investment of the work that you're doing? And so I think it's very beneficial to sit down if you have people who work for you who are asking for X amount of money to say that when you hit these milestones, this is something we can consider, especially if you have a job that you could offer some sort of commission or profit share. Okay, if you start to do this many more facials a week that you book out on your own by your own marketing, if you bring in this many more personal training clients, I will let you keep a bigger percentage of it. If you can, you know, book more eyebrow sessions, then absolutely you can, you know, do, I'll give you X more per microblading. I think it's very, very important to be transparent with the people who work with you. I, I don't believe in gatekeeping financial information. And I think it's always the best way to, without, you know, blowing, blowing it all, letting them kind of know what the revenue of the company is looking like, where that money is coming from, who is responsible for bringing that money in and where they fall into the revenue curve and influx. Um, the best thing that I can say for people is that commission based on effort is always the win. Hungry people make more money, plain and simple. When you eat what you kill, especially as business owners, we know this, we know that we're willing to hustle a little bit harder. And while I always say nobody will work for as hard as nobody will work as hard for your business as you will, I disagree that when it comes to commission-based employees and contractors, that nobody will work for hard as you, oh my God, nobody will work as hard for your business as the people who are able to reap the financial, monetary, or emotional benefits from it. And so if you have the opportunity to commission people for maybe selling extra memberships, if you have the opportunity to commission people for just going above and beyond incentive-based or trigger-based commissions and bonuses, then that's a great way to do it. Um, but the other thing to know is that I always am very hesitant to tell people like, look at the economy or the, the workforce or the unemployment rates and people are going to stay in their jobs. You don't have to pay them more money. That's not where this is coming from at all. This has nothing to do with the state of the world as it relates to hiring. It always comes down to treating people how we want to be treated with the utmost respect and also valuing people for what they contribute and bring to the table. Um, there is always a lot of discussion about recession these days. I go back to telling people that it is a natural, a natural, uh, it's a natural ebb and flow. And it's also, we're overdue and we're seeing a lot of cooling right now. And so if you have employees who are like really pushing to get paid more, one of the things that I would do is I would tell them that this is the economy that we're in. And if they can justify what they're looking to make by again, what they're bringing to the table or through a commission, great. But if they need to make more money, then we also have to be able to let people go. And we have to give people the opportunity to go make more money somewhere else. What happens or what could happen is that people are really disgruntled because they're not able to make as much money as they think that they're worth. And maybe they're not providing the best value for you. So if you end up in a situation where your employee or contractor or worker is kind of just like overworking for you because they're not getting like what they think they are, 
don't be afraid to part ways with this person because somebody better is going to be out there for you. And it might not be immediate or apparent, but energetically, you can't have that shit in your house. So try to have the honest conversation with them. Try to have them justify the numbers that they want, but also know that not every working relationship is meant to be or meant to last. And that the good ones that are good people will either stick it out with you or find a way to come to a common ground with you. So, okay guys, that was so much business information. My brain is kind of mush right now. And so thank you so much to everybody who wrote in these questions. Thank you to all of you for being open to receiving this advice. And like I said, I really hope we do another one of these in spring. If you would like to do another one sooner, shoot me a DM and shoot me some questions. If you want to hear more about family planning as it relates to being a business owner, let me know. But until next time, fam, I love you all. I appreciate you so much. And if you found this episode useful, helpful, please share it on your social channels so that other people could too. Please share it with a friend. Please leave us a review. Um, Like I said in the intros, I am so shocked and humbled by the number of shares, the number of follows, and the number of community that we have built through this podcast. And it's all thanks to you guys. So my heart is eternally grateful. I love you all so much. And until next time, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the She vs. World podcast. If you loved it, and we hope you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast, send this to a friend, and share us on social, tagging me at danielle.stead. Until next time, talk soon, besties.